Welcome to Fearless. Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Happy Friday. And boy, do we have a great show planned for you today. My good friend, Uncle Jimmy's good friend, former Speak for Yourself colleague, TJ Husmanzada, an all-time great for the Cincinnati Bengals, a Pro Bowl wide receiver in the NFL. He's going to join us on the show. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers showing back up at uh, Packers training camp. We'll also talk about NFL protocol rules as it relates to COVID. And we'll talk about Kelvin Benjamin showing up 17 pounds overweight and getting cut by the New York Giants. Also, we're going to talk to the smartest man associated with this show, Delano Squires. Oh, I'm yeah, he's going to he's going to join. Just talking about me. I'm sorry. Oh, he's not talking about you, Uncle Jimmy. I'm talking about Delano Squires. He's going to talk about ministers incorporating critical race theory and the words and thoughts and of Ebron Kendi into their message from the pulpit and how inappropriate that is. But before we do any of that, we got to talk about the biggest news in sports. You? No, the uh, biggest, not that kind of big, I'm the sorry. biggest I'm news sorry. in sports. I'm Last night, Uncle Jimmy, the Lakers made a blockbuster trade for... They traded LeBron? No, they yeah. made a blockbuster trade and acquired one of the biggest losers in the NBA, Russell Westbrook. They sent like three players and a draft pick, but Kyle Kuzma, uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and Magic Johnson's old condoms. They shipped them all off to uh, uh, Washington Ooh. for Russell Westbrook. He didn't think I'd say that, did he? <laughs> so I take it you have, no, you, you have no plans of going back to Los Angeles? <laughs> no, not Okay, because you know if Russell, Russell, Russell Westbrook going to put hands on you. He about that life. <laughs> well, he's really going to put hands on me after he hears this monologue. <laughs> the LeBron James-Russell Westbrook marriage has a chance to rival some of Hollywood's all-time great bad marriages. Last night, the Lakers ditched a quarter of their roster to pair Westbrook with King James. This basketball shotgun merger could be right up there with Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee's three-year marriage. You remember I that? Not want, I do not want to see the. Oh, no, you remember that? That I ended. Want, that ended. I saw him drive the boat with no hands. Yeah. <laughs> Scare anybody. That marriage ended after three years, after just three years. I mean. And Tommy did six months in jail. Anyone remember Kenny Chesney marriage four months stint with Renee Zellweger? They had different objectives and quickly called it quits. She was a ginger, just a few wasn't she? Months, huh? She was a ginger, wasn't she? I, not, yeah, a little bit, maybe. Okay, but ahead, they they had different objectives. Okay. I could see James and Westbrook splitting a few short months into the new season over different objectives. Yeah, LeBron wants to win, and Westbrook wants to keep padding his damn stats. This marriage is just a bad idea. After exiting the playoffs in the first round, I understand why the Lakers feel they need to upgrade the roster around their aging superstar, LeBron James, and their injury-prone superstar, Anthony Davis. You but said LeBron is sagging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But acquiring Westbrook from the Washington Wizards, that's just a bad move. That's just the wrong move. That would be like, uh, I'm Don't not, say it. I'm Don't not, say I'm it. Not, I'm not, I, was, I was about to say something inappropriate. Yeah, Westbrook, he's not a winner. He couldn't win at all with Kevin Durant and James Harden in Oklahoma City. Westbrook and his ball-hogging style cost Durant and the Thunder a 3-1 advantage in the 2016 Western Conference Finals Got against that. the Golden State Warriors. In the aftermath of that collapse, Durant defected. He fled to Golden State just to get away from Westbrook. That's bad. 
Westbrook then reimagined himself as the modern day Oscar Robinson, new triple double king. That's like me, where I became the new triple cheeseburger king at Wendy's. Anyway, Westbrook won an MVP, partnered with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, and he still couldn't win in the postseason. He then jumped to Houston, reconnected with James Harden, and he still couldn't win in the postseason, Uncle Jimmy. It's amazing. Westbrook then moved to Washington, D.C., partnered with Bradley Bill, and guess what? He still couldn't win in the postseason. Russell, Russell Westbrook done had more jobs than you. Go ahead, keep going. I'm sorry, <laughs> Russell man. Westbrook is a loser. Plays with the wrong energy, particularly given his position as a point guard. Westbrook plays angry and surly. Basketball is a game of joy, especially for the guy tasked with getting everyone involved. That's what point guards do. LeBron James, he's a joyful competitor. He plays with the same kind of energy as Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas. The great playmakers, they wear a smile that tempers the fire within. Westbrook, he's all temper. He plays with the fire of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, angry, single-minded scoring assassins. Unfortunately for Westbrook, he lacks Jordan and Kobe's skill and self-awareness, and those guys played shooting guard. Their mentality fit the position. Westbrook plays dumb. He reminds me of Hollywood's dumbest celebrity husband and marriage. Jimmy, I'm gonna date some people, but you should get this reference. This Jerry Lee time. Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh. That's who Westbrook reminds me of, the rock and roller who could have been bigger than Elvis Presley. He married his cousin. Lewis became a star in 1956 when he recorded and released the song, Whole Lot of Shaking Going On. Whole lot of shit. Don't you ever do that again? I followed that up with the mega hit, Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> you heard of Great Balls of it's Fire. It's a song of a man who got crabs. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> See, I shouldn't have made that Magic Johnson Connor joke. It's done set you loose. In 1957, at the age of 22, Lewis was the equal of Elvis Presley. Lewis then married his 13-year-old second cousin, Myra Gale Brown. Marriage torched his popularity and his appearance fees for live performances. Just like Russell Westbrook, Lewis had to reinvent himself. He turned to a country music star where audiences were more forgiving of his Louisiana-inspired taste in women. Lewis eventually married seven different times. I mean, he married seven times. Let's see. Did he run Russell out of cousins? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Just think about, just think about West, Russell Westbrook. Westbrook has been married to Kevin Durant. He's been married to James Harden. He's been married to Paul George, Bradley Beal. And now, Triple Double King is getting hitched to LeBron James. But ain't none of them his cousin. Come on, man. How do you know? Westbrook. I got some fine-ass cousins. But I'm just saying, go ahead, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Look, Westbrook is the great basketball of fire. I like that. I, I see like what that. you did there. Okay. Burns down every hoops relationship he enters. He incinerates teammates, fans, and reporters. He's just too damn angry. And in 2019, he scolded a small child for touching him during a game. What? The same year, he beefed with a Utah Jazz fan and accused the fan of using a racial slur. For years, he feuded with Daily Oklahoman columnist Barry Trammell, 
one of the nicest guys in sports journalism. I'm just tell you, Westbrook, angry guy. LeBron is marrying the Liz Taylor 2.0. It's a mistake. It looks good on paper. Liz always looked good. The Lakers need another playmaker. Westbrook can play off the ball as LeBron serves as Los Angeles' primary ball handler. Sounds great, sounds good. Everything about Westbrook sounds good. He plays hard every night. He's also an emotional roller coaster every night, particularly at crunch time. He's unpredictable and a poor decision maker. Plus, the pressure dynamics are all wrong in, in this shotgun marriage. The pressure to win next season needs to be on Anthony Davis, and LeBron James. Now, the most pressure will be on Westbrook. His career legacy will be on the line. His stats fooled many of us into believing he was the second coming of the Big O. Westbrook is really a mix of Dominique Wilkins, Nate Archibald, and George McGinnis. You recognize all their names? Nate Dominique Archibald. Wilson, Dominique Nate. Wilkins. Of course not. Come Peter on. Archibald, Come George on. McGinnis. Come on, man. The Iceman. That's the Iceman. No, that's not the George. You think of George Gervin. George McGinnis played for the Pacers. Big, muscular dude. Played bully ball. He wasn't the dude that killed everybody? No. That's no. That, George, George. Anyway. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Westbrook is the human highlight film who plays like a tiny Big Mac. You know, that's a play. You got one more time to that's throw a, a food reference into this monologue, Jake. Oh, no, these are all. They're playing. They call George McGinnis Big Mac. Nate Archibald was tiny. Dominique was the human highlight reel. You see how I put all that I, together? Okay, man. You see, I, I, that's that was good. They paid me the big I, And I get it. That was good. I gave it to you. Go ahead, man. He's not, Westbrook is not one of the NBA's top 50 players of all time. He's a nice little interesting gimmick. He'll be desperate to disprove that narrative all next season. It's going to make it impossible for him to control his emotions. He's backed into a corner. It will be an initial honeymoon period and then he'll revert to his old habits at a critical moment and cost the Lakers a chance to win it all. The Lakers will be a great ball of fire. See how I stuck that landing? You, you did that. See how I stuck that landing? Simone, you can learn something from him. Did you see him stick that landing? There you go. Can, can I add one? Can yeah, I add one? one? You said a marriage, yeah. and I was listening yeah, to you. I know you got a lot of experience with marriage. I, I, well, uh, I'm going yeah, to keep this to where something you can relate to. Yeah. But, and I'm... I got one for you. This kind of puts me in mind of Bobby and Whitney. <laughs> Except I think that in this relationship, I think Russell Westbrook is Bobby Brown. And LeBron is Whitney Houston? And LeBron is Whitney Houston. Explain that one. Everybody thought that Bobby was the problem. And they thought that Bobby was corrupting Whitney. Don't be cruel here, Jim. Okay, hey, I'm just telling you, because I would never be that cruel to you. I'm just saying. <laughs> so you think LeBron's going to corrupt Westbrook? Is that, is that your suggestion? I think that we will find LeBron face down in the shower before we'll find <laughs> Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Come on, Jim. In other words, what I'm Ryan's saying... he has got four titles, man. Look, I'm just telling you. Let me try one more. Let me try one more marriage with you and see if you can feel this. And I'm very serious about this. I really... You humping around for uh, analogies right now, huh? Hey, man, I'm looking for that Roni. You know what I'm saying? Cool it now, Jim. Cool All it right, now. look, Keep man, I'm, I'm just trying to do it with every little step I take. All right, come on, man. <laughs> Listen, man, I really... prerogative, Jim. <laughs> you're right, you're right. 
Listen, man. <laughs> Stop it, all right? Listen, I would yeah. compare, honestly, because I don't like the Lakers. I don't like LeBron. I don't like that dude with the big old eye. I don't like nothing about the Lakers. I do, due to the fact that I don't like any of them and I don't like Russell Westbrook, putting all of them together, I think it's about like the equivalent of Michael Jordan and the Bulls when they took on Dennis Rodman. Because honestly, man, I believe that Russell Westbrook is going to give LeBron James, going to give Anthony Davis, when they come out there with that little mess, oh, I'm hurt. Russell Westbrook going to be like, if you don't get your little soft ass up, LeBron, oh, I pulled my nuts. Get your little soft ass up. You ain't done nothing with your nuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm serious. And that might be what LeBron, because, you know, trust me right now, LeBron, you, you, your career's over. I'm your last hope. I'm that last thing you need to get you over that hump, cause you ain't got that. I, hey man, this is this is. This I, 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 I'm a t- you've shocked me with the Dennis Rodman analogy because Dennis Rodman had a terrible reputation. It's a nut job. Dennis Rodman did help. Dennis him. Rodman gave the Chicago Bulls what they needed. They needed somebody to kick a cameraman in the nuts, and that's what he did. Let me tell you the difference though Dennis Rodman won championships with the Detroit Pistons part of Isaiah's team he came with a a bit of a championship pedigree he was a part of the bad boy Pistons Uh, okay this is true Westbrook doesn't have any of that okay I'm trying to give him something man he's got some heart let's go out to Chicago though and bring in Greg Cowles We, we just got done talking yeah, let's bring in Greg Couch because he can either confirm, deny, dispute your Dennis Rodman analogy, which isn't bad, but, you know, this guy covered the Bulls and Chicago Bulls fan. Hey, Greg, come on in here. We need you to be ice, ice, baby. Come on, man. <laughs> here come Vanilla Ice. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, Greg, uh, you heard my rant. You heard Uncle Jimmy uh, compare Westbrook perhaps to Dennis Rodman. Where do you land on this? Well, just so I'm clear, Jason, you don't like Westbrook then? You think this is a mistake? <laughs> I mean, that was like a that Yeah, was a long... I think this is a mistake. <laughs> I think you made that pretty clear. I'm but sorry, I, we, what'd you say? I think I, you made it pretty clear. It was just uh, very strong, so uh, it would be hard to yeah. miss that point. But I, I you know, I think... I think you're focusing on the wrong guy. I think this is a test of LeBron right now, and a little bit what Jim just said about uh, Dennis Rodman. I mean, we know what we're getting with Westbrook, a ball hog, and, and you know a team doesn't really need a ball hog when they've got uh, LeBron there. They get the, the job is to get the ball to LeBron. But what, what, you know, what Jordan did was he had a guy who didn't really, he was very selfish in, in Rodman, and Jordan had to teach him, this is your role, this is what we need you to do to win a championship. And that's what LeBron has to do now. And I don't know if LeBron has that kind of kick-butt kind of mentality that he'll, he'll do that to Westbrook. So I think that Rodman analogy is a really good one. And I think this is a test of, of LeBron. If he wants to show, we're always comparing LeBron to, to Jordan. It's not really a good comparison, but it's one that we always make anyway. And I think this is LeBron's chance to take a guy who's got unbelievable superstar skills and see if he can turn him into an actual superstar player. Mm. Mm. That's really good. He's helped you out. Between the two of you, <laughs> you've actually made a halfway decent point. Man, look, let me tell you, me and Greg and I, we, yeah. we, we done kind of 
hey, Greg and I, Greg hits me up for tips. By the way, Greg, listen, I told you, get that pick and get the back of your hair <laughs> right in here, man. Get it right in here. But other than that, man, me and Greg is cool like that, man. But I, tell me this, Jim, do you think, because he's made a good point, Jordan had the kind of personality that he bullied teammates and certainly had no problem standing up to teammates, set a culture and an environment with the Bulls where they could handle a Dennis Rodman. And they had Phil Jackson, a great coach, that, that you know, could tolerate a Dennis Rodman right. while Jordan and the other players police Dennis Rodman. Does LeBron have the kind of personality? Because, trust me, Wessel Rushbrook is going to stand up to LeBron and anybody. He, he's nobody's punk. And LeBron's not going to be backed up by Phil Jackson. He's going to be backed up by Frank Vogel. And Jason Kidd has since departed the Lakers coaching staff as well. He's now the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. You think LeBron's man enough to take on Russell Westbrook? Like Greg Nice just said to you, <laughs> if LeBron James wants to continue having his name mentioned with Michael Jordan, he has to tap into whatever this is that Russell Westbrook has and make it work. If you great, all of this old, he takes people to make himself great. Now, he's got to take whatever that is he has and, and, and get Russell one ring. He's got to do it. If he don't, then guess what? You're not LeBron. Greg. Or, or you're, you're not uh, Michael. I'm Greg, sorry. you've made a great analogy, but you haven't taken a side. Do you think LeBron has what it takes to discipline and police Russell Westbrook? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> And I also think that there's a bigger issue with... <laughs> oh, God. Craig! <laughs> I also think there's a bigger issue with Westbrook. When you're talking about, you know, his legacy and him worried about his legacy, we have no idea what Westbrook thinks his legacy is all about. I mean, he thinks it's about scoring points and, and getting rebounds. He doesn't think it's about winning championships. We don't even know if a championship means anything to Russell Westbrook. So, uh, you know... I, I think that's a big task for LeBron to, to teach him what it's like to be a champion. And, you know, when you keep going from team to team, I mean, I, I know LeBron did it, but he's just that great that he could get away with it. But you don't really learn the important parts of, of what you need to do, the little things that you need to do to fit in on your team. When you don't develop with a team, you know, you don't, you don't learn the nuances that are required. And if you don't even care about the nuances, that's, that makes it even worse. But I will say with this with Westbrook, when he hasn't won in the past, Mostly, I put that on Harden. So I guess I do think there is a small chance that LeBron can make this work. But if I had to put money on it, uh, Jason, there's no way I would, I, would, I would put money on the Lakers with Westbrook. I don't think it's a good move. <clears throat> I think the other thing that's interesting here is right after, toward the end of the playoffs, there were all these rumors that the Lakers were going to get Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul would have been a much better play than Russell Westbrook, no? Absolutely. That's a, I think that would have been a perfect choice because Paul is willing to do whatever the team needs. I mean, I realize he hasn't been a champion either, but it seems like he's out there for the purpose of the team. And so I think, you know, I think he would have tried to figure out what he was supposed to do. He would have tried to figure out what's the path to winning a championship. And he would have tried to, he would have gotten along great with LeBron because they're already close. So I think Paul would have been a great choice. I don't really know why they didn't go after him or, or, if they, or maybe he just told him right away he didn't want to do that or something. I, I'm just sort of surprised by that move. But yeah, uh, definitely. I, I would have gone with Paul if I could have. Boo! I thought Greg was your boy. Well, he done fell off the damn rail. 
<laughs> I done gave him too much damn credit. <laughs> How the hell you look? We could, the Lakers got too many nice guys on their team. The, Nat- the Lakers need one asshole. They need. What did Tony Montana say? You need you need people like me. <laughs> you, need, you need to be able to punch your finger and say, "Take on the pack guy." Mm. That's Russell Westbrook. See, you ain't gonna never be another pack guy like me. <laughs> Second night to the pack guy. That's Russell Westbrook. Greg, I'm gonna let you go. Appreciate it. Great job. Thanks. G. Uncle Jimmy. What, man? man? Not bad. I didn't know you could do Tony Montana. Hey, right. what can I say, man? You know? Hey, she go read to a couple of blind kids. <laughs> She'll love me in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last time you think you had a great American meat? I have American meat all the time, man. No, I'm talking about grass-fed American meat that was raised and produced right here in the USA. Chances are it's been way too long. Did you know that 80% of grass-fed beef in the U.S. is imported from overseas? But not my good friends at Good Ranchers. They've traveled the country on a mission to help the American family. How? By working together with local farms and ranchers, ranches and shipping straight to your door. Good Ranchers delivers American craft beef and better than, a, than organic chicken. They also have T-bones, fillets, strips, gourmet burgers, and more, and at half the price of online competitors. You get the steakhouse quality you deserve at a price every family can afford. Be the hero your families need by ordering from Good Ranchers today. Jim, what? Soon, any day now, we're supposed to be getting this grill that we're going to put out in the back. I can't wait. And, and so hopefully we'll start cooking and people can just start throwing me meat on my desk as I, and I can eat Good Ranchers meat while Do I'm Do you ever the- listen to what the hell you say? What? You just want people just, and we're just going to start throwing him meat. <laughs> <laughs> Good Ranchers. You just sat up there and said yesterday, we're going to transition. <laughs> if you subscribe, you get $20 off and free express shipping Get with Good Ranchers today and support American farmers. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless and get $20 off and free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com fearless. Slash seafood. Welcome back. Time to roll out to California and bring in one of my all-time favorite NFL players, great friend, uh, a friend of mine since, you know, we started working together over at Fox Sports on Speak for Yourself. Uh, he's now kind of on my bad side because uh, he's gone to war with Darnell Smith, a Warren Central great, a Ball State great. They're having these workout battles. Darnell from my old show, Speak for Yourself. I'm on Team Darnell. Uh, TJ Hushmanzada's on the other team. I think he's getting his butt kicked by Darnell in these workouts. You got to check this stuff out over Instagram, TJ. And <laughs> it's I, 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 I'm Team Darnell too. I, I, I ain't fooling with Pretty Ricky. I, <laughs> I ain't fooling with Pretty Ricky, man. I hope Darnell give him that work, man. <laughs> come to think of it, man, I come in. You don't do a workout video. <laughs> he don't want to challenge me. I don't want to challenge TJ or Darnell. TJ Hushmanzada, uh, welcome to Fearless. Uh, appreciate you joining us. Pretty Ricky. It's my pleasure. And I got something for Darnell later today, by the way. I'm headed to the gym later today. I have something for Darnell. Be ready. 
Yes. I'm good, man. It's good to see you guys. Man. Right. I miss y'all. It's great to see you, TJ. And we had uh, LeVar on, I think, last week or at, at some point. And I, I want to share the same thing I share with my audience uh, about you and LeVar have gone on to do this show up on, up on Game. It's on Fox Sports Radio on the weekend. It's a podcast. It's one of the best sports podcasts going. It's in the same lane as I Am Athlete, except you guys take a, a little different approach. And I'm, I'm just so proud of you and LeVar and just how professional and how seriously you've taken your broadcasting careers. These guys are some of the most intelligent, uh, authentic people speaking in the sports lane. A lot of people tell you what you want to hear, tell you what they think will be popular over social media. These guys have built a show that's really trying to educate you about what's really going on inside the game and how to excel inside the game. Love the name up on game and nobody can teach it to you better than TJ and LeVar. They're keeping you up on game, man. <laughs> I mean, can I say this real quick? Yeah, just real ahead, quick, please. honestly, yeah, man, yeah. From, from Fox, man, I just got to say, man, TJ, when I, as far as this, and, and LeVar, as far as just being a brother that just kept it real, I mean, just being an NFL star, me, little dude from Kansas City, man, just, just always, man, just kept it real, humble, honest, true story, man, just a good dude, man. Look, I'm going to tell you, TJ even tried to bring peace between me and Chad Johnson and me and Chad Ochocinco, uh, TJ. And one day we'll, we'll, we'll get that full piece. We'll get, we'll get Chad on the show. But anyway, ahead, man. I'm let's, sorry. let's go ahead and talk about what's going on in the NFL right now. And one of the big stories is Aaron Rodgers and his feud over the offseason with the Green Bay Packers. There, he made threats or intimated threats, suggested, leaked threats through the media that he may not come back and play this year. He wanted to be traded. It appears that he's, you know, come crawling back to the Packers with no real concessions. I guess this is going to be his last year, and he thinks he's analogizing it to Michael Jordan's last dance. I consider this Aaron Rodgers' last chance uh, to prove that he's the greatest quarterback. That was good. That yeah, the lady, the greatest <laughs> quarterback uh, for the Green Bay Packers. If he leaves out of there with just one Super Bowl title, I think that's going to be disappointing. TJ, what's your take on Aaron Rodgers and what's going on with him and the Packers? The way the situation unfolded was was odd, to say the least. I genuinely thought he's, he's not going to show up. The Packers, they weren't giving in, and it was obvious. And then when you really delve into it and you look into it, the Packers had no choice. Jordan Love hadn't played a snap, one down, because last season with COVID, no preseason. I truly believe he's going to play 90% of these snaps this preseason to show them he can or cannot play. If Jordan Love shows anything, this is 1,000% Aaron Rodgers last season. The only reason Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay today is because they not, they're not they not 100% sure what Jordan Love can give them. You, they trade for Randall Cobb. You probably can find receivers at this point in Randall Cobb's career that's better, but it's a personal attachment that A-Rod has with him that he wants him back in. So when you're a player, you, you have friends, and you want guys to stay on the team, but sometimes it's not best for the team, especially at this stage. So you think... They're going to give Jordan Love 90, 95% of the snaps during the preseason. 
and try to evaluate what he is. And if he shows anything, this is definitely Aaron Rodgers last season. Do you think that Aaron Rodgers is committed or prefers for this to be his last season in Green Bay? That's a really good question, Jason. I'm not 100% sure what I... I believe Aaron Rodgers would like to go somewhere else that has a really like if you if you can put him in Denver with Vic Fangio, great defensive mind, really good defense, and those young receivers that they have in Denver, he could go to Denver and possibly win a Super Bowl, and it will show that hey, they were they didn't give me what I needed in, in Green Bay, and so it depends on where he lands. I mean, you you look at with Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams sees the writing on the wall, man. He, he's talked to Aaron Rodgers. I'm not signing this contract. If y'all want me to sign, y'all going to have to overpay me. I know Aaron is gone after this season. I don't want to stay here and rebuild, so to speak. And so Jordan Love, yes, will get the majority of steps. He just needs to show them he can play. And if he can't, they're in trouble. All right, let's move to a somewhat humorous story. But, but it's also kind of serious and a reflection of the times that we're living in. Kelvin Benjamin, been out of the league since 2018. Dave Gettleman, I think, had drafted him when he was in Carolina. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin was a first-round pick as a wide receiver. He's now 268 pounds and was trying to come back into the league as a tight end. And he a hot dog vendor. <laughs> tight end and a hot dog vendor. And he, he and uh, uh, Giants head coach Joe Judge didn't seem to hit it off. Joe Judge did what head coaches do when a guy shows up out of shape in his view or they gave him a weight requirement, I think, of 251 pounds. He shows up at 268 Kelvin Benjamin, he's three, he was 265 at their minicamp, and he tells Joe Judge on the field, well, you know, I put on muscle. How the hell are you going to show up 265 at a minicamp? Get the hell out of here, man. That's an oxymoron. And <laughs> then he shows up at 268, though, for training camp, and, and Joe Judge calls him out on the field, and then it escalates, and Kelvin Benjamin walks off the field, and they ended up cutting him. He waddled off the field. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. TJ, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Is, is Kelvin Benjamin a little overly sensitive here? He's claiming, you know, this shouldn't have taken place on the field. Why was he called out? I, I, I don't get where Kelvin Benjamin is coming from. This seems commonplace. He's coming from the kitchen. <laughs> where are he coming from? I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It's too many jokes. Hey, Jimmy, you funny. That you, you, what you're saying is 100% correct, <laughs> but it's funny. Like, I get where Kevin Benjamin is coming from. I would have liked Joe Judge. They, they knew he was overweight when he weighed in. Handle that in a meeting. For you to do it on the field in front of your peers and your teammates, I, I don't think that was right. But when you – I was always in shape. Marvin Lewis, my weight to come in the camp was 205. Chad's weight was like 190 or whatever it was. Everybody has a weight that they want you to hit. It's simple. If they told you to come in at 251, come in at 251. That's what they want. And if you're not effective at 251, you will sit down with the strength coach, the nutritionist, your position coach, or whomever it may be, and say, I feel a little more comfortable at this weight. Is it okay if I put weight on? You cannot show up 17 pounds overweight after you've been out of the league, playing a new position, and think it's okay. You just can't do that. 
And he knows that. I, and I think the fact that because he passed a conditioning test, it showed that he was in shape. They give you a weight, you come in at that weight, and it's just simple as that. The, the thing that Joe Judge did that I think Kelvin Benjamin's calling him out on, and there's a kernel of legitimacy. If Joe Judge is Bill Belichick, if he's Bill Parcells, if he's some great coach with a great reputation, go ahead and call guys out on the field in front of everybody. But when you're a coach still trying to prove yourself and you're a former special teams coach and you're dealing with a veteran player, I just think you got to take a different tack, perhaps. He doesn't have the clout to do what he was trying to do to Kelvin Benjamin. I think that's the gist of the problem. And that's why Kelvin Benjamin said what he said. He basically said what you just said. You have no skins on the wall. What have you done for you to treat me this way? What have you done for you to talk to me like this? Prove yourself first. If, if anything, Kelvin Benjamin has proven himself more than Joe, as a player than Joe Judge has proven himself as a coach. And, and so a lot of these coaches that work under Belichick or they work under great coaches that have great philosophies in the way they do certain things, they think they can be that guy. You can't be that guy if you don't have the accolades to back it up, if you don't have skin on the wall, so to speak. And so but I see where he's coming from. But, Jason, when you've been out of the league for multiple seasons and you want to play in the National Football League, just do what you're supposed to do. Do what you're told to do. And if you can't do that, then don't play or don't attempt to play. It's simple. Final question, TJ. You never had to go through this all your years in the NFL, but this COVID thing and the COVID protocols and all the, you know, they're trying to force vaccinations on players. And they've taken, the NFL's taken the unique step of suggesting or, or, or requiring NFL players that are unvaccinated to wear wristbands. And J.C. Treader, the, the player president of the NFLPA, finally stood up for NFL players and, and questioned this publicly and said, hey, man, y'all trying to shame these guys that, that don't have vaccines. Wh where do you stand? We've heard Michael Irvin uh, rip Cowboys players for not meeting the threshold, the 85% vaccinated threshold. Where, where would you stand if you were in the league? Or wh what's your position on this vaccine protocols and mandatory vaccines? Where do you come down on this? For me personally, if I was still playing, just knowing me, I, I love football. And, and so I probably would get vaccinated. I'm not even going to sit here and act like I wouldn't. I'm, I'm almost certain I would. But what I will say, there's so much mistrust going on. I, I don't think they should shame players by wearing wristbands. I actually think teams shouldn't even do that. Number one, you're separating the team. You're dividing the team. And, and so... A team is everyone. And when you have, okay, you put this wristband on because you're not vaccinated. I, I don't think that's right. And you know what's crazy is guys would line up Sunday in the training room before the game. I'm talking about a line like we waiting in the concession stand to get the last burger, everybody, to get a Tordal shot. They would line up for that. You know what type of damage that is doing to your body? And they would line up for that every single Sunday. So the fact that they won't line up to get vaccinated is, is odd. And so 
They have to figure this out. I do not believe they should wear a wristband because you're separating the team. Oh, you get in this locker room. You wear a mask all the time. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. If I was on the team and I was a player rep for many years, I wouldn't let the guys do it. Nobody's wearing a wristband. You will wear your mask. But if you're going to wear your mask, we're all going to wear our mask. Let's be a team and let's do this stuff together. We're not going to alienate a few players or a handful of players, however many it is. But if I was a player, yes, I would probably get vaccinated because the way you've seen guys line up in that training room every Sunday for a turnoff shot, it, it made no sense. TJ, we're going to get you out of here, but I do want to, on a personal note, update us if you can on your daughters. TJ has daughters that are great softball players. I think one's already on the LSU team and another one's headed to the LSU team. Give us a quick update. Yeah, well, my oldest daughter will be a junior. My youngest one is a freshman. Um, played. My oldest one played. I probably started half of the games last year. I'm almost 100% certain they'll both be starters this year. One of them is standing right here looking at me now as I'm talking about her. Um, yeah, we, we work at it, Jason. They, they love the game of softball. Um, we've been in it for a long time. They put the work in. They're going to see the results. But even at LSU, you go up there, it's competition every year. They're bringing in the top recruits every year. And so uh, it's survival of the fittest. If you ain't doing what you got to do, you're not going to play. And so – they're the reason I'm working out. They're the reason I'm about to put Darnell to shame here in about a couple hours. So they got to go work out. When they go work out, I got to work out. <laughs> and so they're my motivation right now, actually. Thank you, TJ. TJ. Hey, anytime, man. Uncle Jimmy, see me on that Madden. And let them know after I beat you in oh, Madden. Oh, you, you about to get that work, this. man. For let real, you about to get that work. You know where I'm going to be after. at, man. You don't let, <laughs> let your mouth go. write a check that your ass can't cash, pretty boy. <laughs> All right, we got to get me on the stick, son. That's TJ Husmanzada. His daughter's great softball players. LSU, a national program in contention for a national title every year. Uh, Jimmy claims to be in contention for a Madden national title every hey, year. Hey, man, I am a first ballot Madden Hall of Famer. I'm here to tell you right now. The oldest Madden player in, the, in America. That's right. Get your ass kicked by an old man. All right. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe, like, notifications button. Leave a comment. All right. Coming up, I think we're going to talk to Delano. My guy. The professor. Professor D. We'll all get educated here in a minute. It's my obligation on hate discrimination raising up your freedom welcome back it's time for delano squires the smartest man on this show we're going to roll out to washington dc delano's written two very good columns for the blaze this week uh we talked yesterday about the column he wrote for the 1776 united project Today, we want to talk about the work he's done for us. Delano, welcome to the program. You've written about one of my favorite topics today, and that's the... Lasagna? <laughs> <laughs> no, not lasagna. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> hot chicken from Hattie B's. He's written about that. No. <laughs> no, he's written about evangelicals, Christians... Close. who have now modeled themselves 
after the racial politicians popular in the world today. And he basically says in his column today, it's titled, uh, Christians, Evangelicals should model Christ, not Ibram Kendi or Ibram Kendi X or Ibram X Kendi. I always get to confused. You keep changing it every week. <laughs> I keep changing it. But one of the critical passages here, not to steal all your thunder, Delano, but you quoted from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. Delano, explain why this passage in particular is so central to your argument about modeling Christ, not Kendi. Sure. Um, it's so central because uh, much of what we hear today around, you know, race and politics and uh, social inequities is that um, Americans today, particularly white Americans today, must repent for and remedy the sins of their forefathers. And really, when people say that, they don't just mean someone's ancestors, you know, the, the someone who's from the South whose ancestors may have been slave owners. They, they basically mean all white people who existed um, generations ago, whether they were in charge of public policy or not. So the, the passage in Ezekiel is, is much more direct. It says that a, a son is not responsible for the sins of his father, and nor is the father responsible for the sins of the son. What people like Kendi say, or uh, Robin DiAngelo, or Ta-Nehisi Coates, or many of the, the race writers today, they, they, their contention is that whites today are responsible for the sins, not just of their ancestors, but for anyone who looked like them generations ago. And I think that that concept, um, that type of skin color group guilt is something that's both um, bad policy, but even more important, uh, bad theology. Delano, what you're getting at is we've moved into such a secular society, our, our standards of behavior, our philosophies that are driving the country are actually hostile to what's taught in the Bible because to me, and I, I could be wrong, well, I heard Tony Evans say that advancing the kingdom of Christ is basically the point of the Bible. I would say, and again, Tony Evans, Reverend Tony, much smarter than me, but my little layman's understanding is that forgiveness is central to the point of the Bible and the point of being a Christian, that Christ, Jesus died to forgive us of, of our sins, and, and right. we're moving towards a society that forgives no one. This is insanity. Right. And, and it's so ironic because Ibram Kendi has said in the past that um, racism is death and his view, I'm assuming, of anti-racism is life. So what he really does, he appropriates scriptures that describe Christ in terms of, you know, Jesus being, uh, sin being death and, and Jesus being life. Um, and he applies that to his views on racism and anti-racism. The problem is that the people you know, like Kendi and Coates and the people who see all of humanity through the lens of race, right? And that, that lens is one that really only works in the, the U.S., in Western countries. Um, I don't know what they would do if they went to a country where everybody looked the same. I'm not sure how they would uh, dole out guilt um, in, in that type of environment. 
But here um, in America, what ends up happening is that people with that particular worldview uh, can never forgive people because if if whiteness is a sin, if whiteness in and of itself is a sin, um, then the people who are, are guilty of that sin, for, for whatever reason, from their perspective, can never be forgiven. So that's why I think you see oftentimes, you know, white liberals seem to be on a hamster wheel where they try to do everything that the quote-unquote anti-racists tell them to do, and it's never enough. And what they think, the white liberals think, is that, oh, these people only hate white conservatives, but they don't realize that um, the, the folks who hold that particular worldview have just as much d disdain for the white liberal as they do for the white conservative. So it's, again, it's, it's, it's bad theology in the fact that there are Christians who have embraced this type of thinking, and Christians who come from relatively uh, theologically conservative denominations um, who've embraced this type of thinking. And I, and I think that's, that's why I want to raise this issue because if this is the way we're going as a country, and if and and if the people who practice the the religion of forgiveness start to think this way, then then we're all in for some serious trouble. The critical thing in your piece is it's not just Christians, but this is actually coming from the pulpit. Christians are being led by their leaders into this type of thought. What, and the Bible is so crystal clear on this. What is baiting the ministers into embracing this? Is it just a popularity play? I think part of it is how, how some, some of them um, see race. Some of them see it as, well, see race and racism. Some of them see racism in many respects as the one unforgivable sin. Um, the, the, the black uh, preachers in the evangelical world and the white ones sort of operate from slightly different dynamics. I think the white ones oftentimes are motivated by a sense of guilt, the same type of guilt that you see um, consuming, as I said, uh, white liberals in many cases. Um, these pastors, um, and, and I mentioned one of them, McLean Bible Church, which is right outside of D.C., I, I think they, they see themselves as good, caring Christian people. They want their um, black congregants to feel at home in the church. And so they end up um, borrowing from secular texts of sociology, whether it's Kendi, whether it's, um, you know, other books that, uh, you know, oftentimes that black pastors recommend. And they, they think that they can use these things as analytical tools. Sometimes that's, that's what they'll say. But really what ends up happening is that these books that they, that they try to appropriate end up, for lack of a better term, colonizing their view of the Bible. So they end up um, subordinating the scriptures to the words of Kendi or Coates or, or some other thinker. Um, I think for the, the black theologians and the black pastors, um, many of them, I think, carry a, a certain sense of discomfort because many of them were trained in majority white um, seminaries or evangelical circles. And some of them discuss not necessarily feeling welcomed or affirmed. Uh, I'm not sure, again, what, what goes on in people's heads. I think part of it is they, they do want to be affirmed. They do. They want to hear, in many respects, Black Lives Matter from their white colleagues. Um, but the other part of this, and this ties the black pastors to people like Kendi, and to me, this is the most cynical part, is many of them want reparations. They, they, they think 
that the Christian response to the history of black discrimination in this country is for um, the, the government, I'm assuming the federal government, to give reparations to black folks. And, and many of them are becoming more open in their call for reparations. You said something <clears throat> about one unfor the one unforgivable sin. And, and, and I know you're not a theologian, and I'm gonna, next Wednesday, I'm gonna bring these up, bring it up with the pastors to come in studio with me on Wednesday's Harmony, but I just want your reaction. I've told friends of mine when we've debated this issue or issues around this, that uh, you're too caught up in what people think about you mm -hmm. and not what people think about God. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I say that is because we prioritize, oh, well, you can't be a Christian if you're racist. And again, we've put that sin, of ra which we all are capable of and all have to some degree biases that could be described as racism. We all have, but, but somehow, like, if a white person has a bias, it's it's that's the unforgivable sin. We prioritize that that that's and that's that uh, totally discredits their Christianity. But I could sit here and be an adulterer. I could mm -hmm. be lost in gluttony. I could be lost in strip clubs and all. that doesn't invalidate my Christianity. But mm -hmm. If, if somebody has a bias, which trust me, I have biases, my father had biases, my mama has biases, everybody I know, Uncle Jimmy, everybody I know has some sort of bias. Right. And so I've told people repeatedly, hey man, instead of evaluating people on how they feel about you, evaluate them on how they feel about God, because if they have some sort of faith in God, God's gonna work on these sins mm. within them. God can fix that because right. he's certainly working on my sins. And, and so anyway, I just want your reaction to that. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, part of the problem is how, um, how people have stretched the term racism um, to a point where it basically fits over anything. Um, there was a point when someone calls someone a racist, you, you got a, a clear picture of what the party that was being accused might have done to, to warrant that label. But now people will say someone is racist or participating in racism, even if the person doesn't show any animus or racial bias. So that's why I think one of the things that you know many theologians, Christian theologians need to do is actually start using biblical terms. So if they'd say the word racist, are we talking about ethnic hatred? Are we talking about ethnic partiality where you, you treat one, you know, person from one group different than, than the other group. Um, I, I think, you know, clarifying terms is important. I also think starting from a position where we see um, all of us as, as, you know, coming from the same creator. Um, and again, if you, if you believe what the scripture says, you know, it says that God, out of, of one man, God created basically all men of, of different nations and marked out their boundaries and where and when they would live. If, if you start from that position, um, I think you, you end up um, seeing issues of race or ethnicity or nationality um, in a very different way than the way we talk about them now. Um, and I, so I think ultimately all people have to begin to see the humanity in others and not assume that there's only one group that is capable of, you know, the, the, the sin of racism 
or ethnic hatred. Um, and, I, and I think we just need to, to get back to a point where we're starting to speak common language because so much of the problem that we have right now is about language and it's about wordplay. And you can see, you know, when last year the, the Smithsonian, um, the African-American History Museum here in DC put out that infographic and they listed things like objectivity and rational thought and the nuclear family as aspects of whiteness and, and white supremacy culture. Um, that, that, those, are, those are things that no one 30 years ago would have recognized. So a big part of what we're doing is engaging in uh, language wars. And, and I think we just need to get back to, to thinking more clearly, uh, and particularly for Christians, more biblically about some of these issues. Great stuff. Do you again. understand? What? Now do you understand why Delano makes the big bucks? <laughs> Seriously, man. If, if Delano was alive during the days of Jesus, he would be called a wise man. Mm. No, for real. Do you listen to that? What would I be called? A fat man, I guess? A fool. Uh, but listen here, man. No, did you, did, you listen to, did you listen to that? I mean, honest to goodness, man. I love Delano. Any question you asked him, he just gives you that answer. You, you ask him, you'll say, uh, Delano, what do you think about the state of the black man? Delano will look at you and say, well, if we as a black man continue <laughs> to go to bed with an itchy booty, can we as a people, Jason, be surprised if we continue to wake up with a smelly finger? <laughs> <laughs> now, I asked you, my brother. I love that dude, man. Respect. Delano, we're going to let you go. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that was it. great stuff, as always. I love you, man. Yeah. Delano's good. Yeah, but he, just, he has an answer. He does. And... You know, that's why you have get your gone, job. <laughs> I have gone to bed with an itchy booty, and you're absolutely correct. But notice how well he said it. It's I, not what you say. It's how well you say it. There man. you go. That's why I like him. All right, stick around. Uncle Jimmy's got a Bible story. I hope it's better than the smelly booty, itchy fingers. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> hope it's better than that. Go to YouTube.com. out, okay? Slash Jason Whitlock. Uncle Jimmy's Bible story and our approval rating on Russell Westbrook. Welcome back. You know what? I, you know what? I need some popcorn for these Bible stories. I need something to snack on. You know, this is like going to the drive-in movie theater. How about grabbing you one of those built bars? That would be awesome. Could we get someone toss me a built bar, uh, Chris, and and we'll I can eat a built bar while I'm listening to your Bible story. This is hey, awesome. could we could we lather that down with some barbecue sauce on the way, please? <laughs> Are you ready for your? Uh, go ahead and toss it. We're good. Damn! Are you ready? You I used to be an athlete. Oh man, this is great. It's the uh, real chocolate, uh, zero guilt built bar. Oh, there it is. It's the grasshopper. Anyway, Come Uncle Jimmy. Before you do, yes, sir. Let's, let's go with the Bible story now that I got something to snack on. Man, listen, I told you yesterday. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to look at that little nasty video. Yeah. Then I put that hat on yesterday. Yep. Remember, I reached over here like this. Yep. 
I'm gonna put this hat on. And then when I put this hat on, it kind of reminded me, it took me back a little bit, back to the good old, back, back to my days of one of my favorite rap groups. Who? Houdini. That's Houdini. not a rap group. Houdini is a rap group. That's a singing group. God damn, boy, you crazy as hell. Houdini, uh, you gonna make me go to the internet. I just stay right there, I got you. Houdini's a rap group, okay? Go ahead. And I thought to myself, I said, what the hell would Houdini say if they was alive right now going through this and Simone Bowles was pulling this stuff that she doing? What would Houdini say? Now, you said they wasn't a rap group, right? Houdini. You said Houdini wasn't a rap group. Let me, let me tell you what Houdini, Houdini would Houdini say if they was a, here right now. Houdini is a rap Right. They say, some say it's an art, some say it's a shame that you would quit on your country right before the game. Well, I done checked up high. I done checked down low and it's called a quitter no matter where you go. So later on, don't act like you don't know when you hear all those boos while you're in the front row. What can I say? That's the life you chose. Now go hang out with LeBron and those. You gotta go. Simone, you gotta go. <laughs> How is this a Bible story? You gotta go. Simone, you gotta go. You quit on your team right before the show. You gotta go. Simone, you gotta go. How do I know because I told you so? <laughs> now you the idol of many. You just may be. But I never saw the little man wearing your clothes on TV. <laughs> Now you had a grown ass man wearing your clothes with little girls looking, what about those? You're no longer a winner, you're teaching transgender. Hey, no pain, no gain, no strain, no pain, no gun in your hand, girl, it's just a game, that's all I'm saying, you got to go. Simone, you gotta go. You quit on your team right before the show, you gotta go. Simone, you gotta go. How do I know because you told me so? You said I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit. I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit. My mama said I'd spit her and quit her. If she does go get her, my mama said you gotta go get her. I quit. Simone? Is there a Bible verse connected to any of this? No. It was just a song that I wanted to say. Simone, you gotta go. Simone, you gotta go. You quit on your team right before the show. You gotta go. Simone, you gotta go. How do we know because you told us so? What did you say? I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit. I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit. I had to hit that, man. I'm sorry, man. I had now it was Houdini a rap group. Houdini's a rap group. I don't know how I got it confused. Who am I thinking of? Cameo? <laughs> man, you don't you, you don't remember Houdini? Of course I remember man, Houdini. Man, Houdini said. Remember Houdini had, had, had the song, The Freaks Come Out at, at night. night. The Freaks Come Out at Night. Remember? Yes, that's the, when the freaks most come popular out. song. Okay. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. Yeah, right there. Ones we can yeah, depend But we need some music like that nowadays. <laughs> we do. I mean, honestly, now they be singing crabs. How many of us have them? Crabs. <laughs> Hold, on. Hold on. You know you just, your parody song is a play off of I'm a hoe, right? <laughs> That's the name of the song. You, you just caught that, Jason. Can, you just caught that, Jason. <laughs> you, I mean, I, was, I just made it family friendly, but now you just, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Well, are you? Welcome to the party, Jason. <laughs> <laughs>
See, 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 them built bars also increase your memory. <laughs> Got to have just one love, one love. There you go. It's all in a part of growing up. Yeah. All right, let's go to our approval let's do rating it, man. before let's we do get it, man. finally kicked off the. Uh, next week, have a Bible story. I'm, man, I'm sorry. Man, I was sacrilegious what you just did. Man, but it was put on my heart. It was. <laughs> it was put on my heart. Not by God. <laughs> anyway, let's get to Russell Westbrook, who I annihilated at the top of the show. Uh, job performance. The triple double king. He averaged a triple double last year, but it's all meaningless. I'm gonna give him a 15 uh, for job performance. I give him an 11. Wow, you're, you're down on him more than I am. He, he, he's, 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 he's a me, me, a I, I, a one, one guy. He's he gets an 11. Down. Bradley Bill, probably happy to see him go. Character. Fights with everybody, fights with little kids who touch him courtside. Uh, tr- tried to assassinate the character of a Utah Jazz fan. Very low. He plays way too angry. I got him at a six in character. Hey, man, did you see him attack that white woman that time on the stands? Remember, <laughs> yeah. we, remember yeah. when he attacked that white yeah. woman? Mm-hmm. Was he not playing true form to his character? Was he not living up to his character? He definitely was doing that. I get him a 24. Come on, man. <sighs> Authenticity. I do think he's authentic. He's an asshole, and he plays one every minute of the day. He's very authentic. I get him a 22. That man is about that life. What did he tell that woman? I will! Sex you up <laughs> in front of her husband. Boy, if that ain't if that ain't authentic, I don't know what is. That's a 25 all over my world. It factor. People do love to come out and see his little triple double performance or whatever, his little stick gimmick. Uh, I'll give him a 20 for it factor. Hey man, call it a stick, call it a gimmick. A triple double is a triple double. The man got heart. I think he's gonna make a difference in LA. And I think he might be what L.A. needs. I gave him a 20. Mm, we both, so I got him candlelit at 63. You got Russell Westbrook as a smoke show? Hey, man, I'm going to tell you what, no man. No titles? He's a smoke show You go because they got a shit show going on down there in L.A., and he might be just what they need. <laughs> All right. Here comes my favorite singer, Tamara. Can I sing my song again? No. Listen, tomorrow's playing right now. This is one of the greatest songs in the world. I hope everybody listens to it, enjoys it. It's about freedom. I like her, man. It's awesome. Freedom. One of these days, we're going to learn the words to it. We'd be like, That's all. You wonder why you're going to hell. We are living, get back. We are receiving all this evening. We all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just 